please turn in your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 9. You can find this on page 800, or 287 if you're using the Pew Bible. And I'll be reading out of the New King James Version, which is the same translation you have in the Pew. Our congregation's been going through the book of Judges and uh, had several sermons on Gideon and his life. And uh, we ended that little portion last week at the end of chapter 8. So that Gideon was uh, genuinely a hero uh, of the faith, but uh, he didn't end particularly well. He set up a memorial to his great victory as he led the people uh, to triumph over their foes. And that uh, memorial ended up becoming a snare, it says to us, to the people who came afterwards. Now, one of the things it said right at the end of chapter 8 is that the people, after Gideon died, the people forgot God and they forgot Gideon. And so what we have in chapter 9 is sort of what the specifics of what that looked like. What did it look like when they forgot God and forgot Gideon? And uh, children, you're going to notice here that uh, there are a couple of brothers mentioned uh, in this passage. This is a very sad story. We're just going to look at the first part this week and then Lord willing we'll look at the rest of the chapter next week. Um, This is one of those chapters in the Bible that we might wish was not in here. Uh, But uh, God is faithful to give us the whole range of uh, perspective that we need. And so we're going to read a sad story here. Now, as I I do this, uh, the the, the author goes back to Gideon's other name. So you're not going to see Gideon mentioned, but Jerubbaal or or Jerubbaal. That's the name he was given as the one who was going to fight against Baal. And so that, what, that's what keep, keeps coming up here. And so that's who we're talking about. Let's give attention to God's word now. We're going to look at verses 1 to 21. Then Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaal, went to Shechem to his mother's brothers and spoke with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubbaal reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. And his mother's brothers spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. And their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he's our brother. So they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of baal Berith, which uh, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men. And they followed him. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jerubbaal, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, was left because he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all of Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. Now when they told Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim, and he lifted his voice and cried out, and he said to them, listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I cease giving my oil with which they honor God and men and go to sway over trees? Then the trees said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. 
But the fig tree said to them, should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit and go to sway over trees? Then the trees said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, should I cease my new wine, which cheers both God and men and go to sway over trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, therefore, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubal and his house, and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you, risked his life, and delivered you out of the hand of Midian, but you have risen up against my father's house this day, and killed his seventy sons on one stone, and made Abimelech the son of his female servant king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother." If then you have acted in truth and sincerity with Jerubal and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and of Beth Milo, and let fire come from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled, and he went to Beer and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother." And there will end the reading of God's word. May God help us as we seek to understand and apply this passage in our lives. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I did uh, a seminar on chat GPT uh, at the university. So this is a a new uh, AI program, uh, artificial intelligence Uh, which is being used by students, and I was told, guaranteed, your students are doing this to write papers, do their homework assignments, and all kinds of things like that. And so the the school was trying to help us understand the technology, how it could be used positively in education, and how it can be abused. And one of the things they pointed out was the number of cases of academic misconduct they'd had this spring using ChatGPT. And they said what was fascinating is you you actually had examples where students turned in papers, and in one case, the paper's assignment was to write about your experiences with COVID, the COVID pandemic. And in the paper that was submitted, it said, I am a bot, so I have never actually experienced COVID directly, but this is what some others reported. And so the, the student actually submitted a paper that had a, a sentence in it saying, I am a bot. Um, and, and so pretty easy to catch that one. Um, but, but you get the idea that uh, sometimes this kind of thing reveals the foolishness uh, underneath it. And the student thinks this is going to be a great way to save time and simplify my life. And in reality, this turns out to greatly complicate that person's life as they get embroiled in a lot of uh, academic discipline and things like that. And I think sometimes in the Christian life, we experience something similar. Uh, We're tempted to think that stepping back from following Christ might simplify our lives in some ways. And and from an outward perspective, you you can see how you could make that case. If, If I don't have to hold certain positions that I know are unpopular in society, that could make my life simpler. 
or if I don't have to devote time and energy uh, to certain religious things, that might simplify my life. Or uh, if, if suddenly I, I, certain things that maybe I shouldn't be doing are open to me, uh, that might make my life simpler as well. And so there might be an impulse that says stepping back from following Christ would make our lives easier. But what this passage is showing us is that that is absolutely not the case at all. And here you have people that are stepping back from following God and God's ordained leader, who was Gideon, rather to put their own leader forward and to follow him because that would be easier for them. And the end result is disaster and heartache. And God is gracious enough in this passage to actually warn the people about what's going to happen, to try to turn them off of what they are doing. And so as we read this, we need to see the same warning. Yes, it can be tempting for us to step back from following the Lord wholeheartedly, but the warning uh, tells us not to do that. And so the main point as we look at this passage is that we are to listen. You are to listen to God's gracious warning. You are to turn back from following evil and folly and turn toward your Savior. And children, if you want to draw a picture for me this morning, you could draw a picture of this son, Jotham, uh, as he went on the mountain and yelled down to the people. And we're going to be talking about what did, was he telling them and why is that so important. Well, there is an outline in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along. The first thing I want you to notice is that you and I are under constant pressure to turn away from Christ. We see this in verses 1 to 3. So we are introduced to this character, Abimelech, at the end of chapter 8. He, uh, uh, again, we said this wasn't a good thing, but Gideon, in his retirement, he refused to be the king, but he started acting kind of like a king. And he had many wives, he had 70 sons, and then this one son with his concubine who lived in Shechem. And his name is Abimelech, my father, the king. Uh, again, uh, showing that probably uh, Gideon's thinking wasn't clear near the end of his life. Well, Abimelech goes to his mother's family in Shechem. And he goes and he gathers his mother's relatives around. And he says to them, you go talk to the leaders of Shechem and tell them that it would be better for them if I was their king than if they had to submit to the 70 sons of Gideon who are still alive because after all I am a relative of theirs I am their brother so he's appealing to their opportunism right that this might be better for us if we're going to have a king he's also doing something that we see almost all the time in our own experience is that the person doing evil is really good at accusing other people of doing exactly what that person is doing and, and that's what you see here because he says um, he says, you don't want to serve Gideon's 70 sons. Well, there's no indication that any of them had any designs on taking over and ruling or anything like that. But he, he puts that idea out there. Matthew Henry says, those who design ill themselves are commonly most apt to suspect that others design ill. And so he's accusing these innocent brothers of something bad. So he says, hey, why don't you, let's, uh, let's get around that problem, you make me the king, 
and then one of your relatives will be in charge. And they like the idea. Verse 3, his mother's brothers, they spoke these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, and their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother, that is, he is our relative. So they are opportunists, but they're not very smart ones. One commentator says, this proves that blood is thicker than brains. And that's probably true. But for us to understand what's really going on here, uh, we have to see that this is not just a story of jealousy, greed, power. It is a story about rebellion against God. That's what's really going on. Abimelech and these men are turning away from Yahweh, from God, and from Yahweh's chosen leader and his house, that is from Gideon. And so it's, it's ultimately a religious thing that's happening here, and we have to keep our eye on that fact. We had the Spiegel's, uh, Spiegel family worshiping with us for the last couple of years, and uh, Jim took a job uh, teaching philosophy at Hillsdale College and, and left uh, in January. But Jim has written a book on atheism, and his thesis is that At the core, atheists are atheists not for intellectual reasons, but for moral reasons. They don't want to give up their sin. And he makes a pretty convincing case in his book. It turns out that human beings are not just impartial seekers of truth. We all have our own agenda. We have what we want to be true. We have what we want not to be true. And this influences us tremendously. And even as a Christian, you have to realize that you're going to be constantly challenged in this regard, that your sin is going to be calling you to turn back from following Christ. You can have more freedom if you do that. Sometimes persecution calls Christians back from following Christ. The price is too high. Uh, turn away and have an easier life. Again, it's a call of wanting to be comfortable. Uh, Sometimes we can feel limited. And it was an incredible challenge when I visited Christians in East Asia where there are very few men in the church. And, And these young women wanting to have families but then faced with this conundrum because the Bible's very clear. Christians should not marry non Christians. So at some level, the person is saying, maybe it's easier just to step back from that. That way I can be married. So there, there are many times these kinds of pressures come on us. Abimelech here, he wanted to be his own God. The men of Shechem said, this is attractive. He might be able to further our interests. We'll go with Abimelech. And, and in similar ways, you and I are always able to justify some sort of stepping back from following Christ uh, to, to in, a, in effect, follow our own way. This is a constant battle that we face. So we're under constant temptation to turn back from following Christ. But secondly, we see that turning away from Christ inevitably leads to great evil. We see this in verses 4 to 6. So again, I think the text takes pains to make sure that we see this is ultimately a religious problem. 
One of the ways this comes out is just the fact that this all happens in Shechem. We sang about Shechem earlier in the service. It's, it was a famous place in Israel. This was the place where God appeared to Abraham when he first came into the promised land. I put Genesis 12, verses 6 and 7 in the, uh, in the bulletin as a cross-reference. It says, Abram, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree. This is the tree that's mentioned in Judges. And the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So this is the place. And later, God interacts with Jacob there. And then, after the conquest in the days of Joshua, this is the very place where all this is going on, where the people swear a covenant to follow God. And I put uh, this in your outline as well, Joshua 24, verses 25 to 27. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak. That's the same oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. So the tabernacle was actually set up there at that time. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord, which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Shechem is incredibly important. And yet what's going on in Judges chapter 9? Well, in verse 4, it says, They gave Abimelech 70 shekels of silver from the temple of baal Bereth. So his whole scheme is financed by money that's been given in the worship of a pagan god. Right? So again, that's, that's the issue here. It's a turning away from God. It's doing the work of evil. Uh, verse 5 then, he takes this money, he hires mercenaries, he goes uh, into Manasseh where uh, his father's house was uh, to Ophrah and he kills his 70 brothers on one stone. And, and by mentioning one stone there, the idea is that it's not like they had a battle and, and they died in the middle of the battle. They were captured and then they were executed. And some commentators think they may have even been sacrificed to Baal, uh, the way they were uh, killed on one stone in this way. Uh, horrendous, horrendous thing that happens. And then after that, they take Abimelech in verse 6, and they make him king uh, beside the terebinth tree, that very same oak tree where the people of God generations previously had sworn allegiance and obedience to God. Uh, this, is, uh, this is Israel's first king, with king in quotes, under these horrifying circumstances. Matthew Henry writing about this, he describes Abimelech this way. He says, of this meteor, this ignis fatuus, I had to look that up, it, it just means, uh, it's a Latin term meaning uh, basically a, a false fire, something that's just all show and no reality, but he's an ignis fatuus of a prince, a fake prince, that he was not a protector, but a plague to his country. We may say, as once was said of a great tyrant, that he came in like a fox, ruled like a lion, and died like a dog. Uh, thank you, Matthew Henry, for telling us what you really think there. Um, 
but it is incredible, the, the evil that this man has done. And it's after he does those things that he is chosen and anointed to be their king. One commentator likens this whole scene. Uh, it would be like our own leaders of our country going to Gettysburg and then reinstituting slavery. Uh, or going to Valley Forge and then vowing our allegiance to Great Britain. Uh, don't get any ideas, Philip. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but it, 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 you go to a place that's very significant, and then, and then you, you do the exact opposite of what should be happening there. I think you could take a real-life example in our own country. Uh, when not many years ago, our, our, the White House was emblazoned with the rainbow colors to celebrate uh, the, uh, the court's ruling that gay marriage would be the law of the land. And what it is, the point is, it's, it's an in-your-face kind of a thing, uh, an in-your-face kind of a thing that's happening. And that's exactly what's going, going on here, because Gideon's whole family has been wiped out. Gideon saved the people at great personal risk. He refused the offer of king. His sons didn't take up the offer of king either. And this is the way they respond to him. And recognize this is the great evil that results when people turn away from God and they turn away from God's anointed leader and his house. And that's exactly what we see happening around us. This is what is happening in our society. We see evidences of this in all kinds of different forms. This is what will happen in your family if your family turns away from following Christ, and this is what happens in your personal life if you turn away or if you follow Christ half-heartedly. Some type of evil is just around the corner. And whether that comes in the form of adultery, lust, divorce, envy, pride, pornography, or all the rest of it, evil is lurking. And if you turn away from Christ, this is where you will be driven. And this is the warning of the text. Thirdly, we also see here that turning away from Christ is the height of folly. So we're told that one of Gideon's 70 sons escapes, the youngest brother, Jotham. Jotham's name means Yahweh is perfect. And uh, Jotham is a good man. He's brave. He's a loyal servant of the Lord. He risks his life. Uh, to get his message out. And I think it's important to realize that Jotham doesn't come to yell at these people from the mountaintop because he's just wanting to curse them or he's mad or he's seeking vengeance. No, he's, he's bringing them a message because he is confronting them with their sin. He's warning them and he's calling them to repentance. And so he comes to Mount Gerizim. So if you if you look, uh, Shechem has kind of got two small mountains. Uh, we would call them hills probably, about 1,000 feet high. Uh, Mount Gerizim on one side, Mount Ebal on the other. And there was a ritual when the people came into the land where they shouted blessings from one uh, mountain. If we obey God, he will bless us, and curses from the other mountain. And Shechem was right in the middle. And so he comes to, Shech or to Gerizim, the mountain of blessing, ironically, uh, to give this message, uh, which he yells down. 
And he says to them in verse 7, listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. And, and again, this is not just vengeance. This is, if you want God to hear you, you need to hear this message. This is a word from God to you. And then the message comes in, in verses 8 to 15 in the form of a fable. Uh, so children, you know, uh, we, we learn parables in the Bible. And so parables are stories that have a point, just like fables are. The difference is that parables usually involve people doing things that could actually happen, whereas fables uh, often involve animals or plants or forces of nature or things like that. Uh, a famous fable is the tortoise and the hare, uh, where you get a rabbit and a, and, a, and a turtle talking to each other. Now, we know those, they don't really talk. But that's the, the form of communication that Jotham is using here. And in summary, he's saying the trees, these great cedars of Lebanon, we sang about those earlier in the service, they ask three different cultivated fruit-producing plants to rule over them. So the fig, or the olive, the fig, and the grape. So these would all be cultivated, planted, cared for, they produce fruit. And in each case, these worthy plants is busy producing fruit right where it is. And so says, no, I don't want to go be the king of the trees. I'm happy serving God here. Well, since the worthy plants decline the offer, then the trees go and ask the bramble. That's the thorn bush. Uh, it's wild. It's not cultivated. It doesn't produce anything good but uh, thorns. And in the summer in, in Palestine, they often would catch fire uh, because they're very dry and they're a legitimate fire hazard. And of course, this worthless plant accepts the offer to be the king. The, the, the plants you might want, refuse. The plant you don't want, accepts. But there are conditions at the end of verse 15. If in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. If you will be faithful to me, come and take shelter in my shade. Does anyone see a problem with the picture? This is a bramble saying to a cedar tree, take uh, refuge in my shade. Right? There's no shade there. Uh, there. There's nothing that this bramble can provide that's going to be helpful to the cedar tree. And that's really the whole point, that these first three types of plants represent the faithful judges that we've had uh, throughout the book so far. And even though Gideon had his weaknesses, he was a faithful judge. And at the end of the day, none of these worthy men accepted or even advocated to become the king. But instead, this bramble bush, this worthless Abimelech, self-appointed, not a legitimate uh, judge or leader. He's actually sort of an anti-judge. He aspires to be king and he's the one they choose. And, and partly this is to show how totally absurd that decision was. I've seen people writing that uh, our, our country is now ruled by a gerontocracy, um, which is uh, uh, ruled by old people. And believe me, I don't have anything against old people. Uh, I'm increasingly becoming uh, an old person. So I'm, I'm a fan. But uh, just for example, our Senate, uh, the average age is over 64. Uh, there are almost, 
there are over 30 members that are 70 years old and older. And, and when you think about the fact that we have a country of 330 million people, and that this is the best we can do. We actually have brain-injured people who cannot express a coherent thought in positions of power in our government. And it would be laughable if it wasn't so terrifying, so dangerous. But this is exactly what the situation is here. The complete folly. And uh, children, just so you know, I'm saying folly. Folly is the stuff fools do. Okay, So folly is foolish things that are being done. The folly of having someone like Abimelech be your king. And yet realize how often we are tempted to make ourselves king in our own lives. We we fall prey to the same kind of thing. If you put yourself on the throne instead of Jesus, you will see it reflected in all kinds of foolishness, poor decisions, poor priorities, conflict in your relationships, time wasted, anxiety and worry and all that comes with it. Turning away from Christ, it leads to evil, it leads to folly. It's the height of folly. Well, then fourthly, we see here that we are to listen to God's gracious warning and to turn away from evil and folly. So in verses 16 to 20, uh, Jotham gives the punchline of his little fable. He says in verse 16, Now therefore, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, and if you've dwelt well with Jerubal and his house and have done to him as he deserves. Now you see in my translation there's a dash there. In verses 17 and 18, and the dash ends at the end of verse 18, that's a parenthetical. right? He's saying you haven't treated uh, Gideon and his family well. You've, You've murdered them. But sort of around that parenthetical, he's saying, if you have done well, uh, then jump down to verse 19. If you've been faithful with Jerubal and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him rejoice in you. If you've been faithful, then rejoice in your king. May your king be a blessing to you and may, uh, may you be a blessing to him. But in verse 20, if not, if you've not dealt faithfully, with uh, Gideon and his family. Then let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And this mention of Beth Milo, it's thought this is probably the seat of power within, uh, within Shechem. That this, is, uh, this would be like saying the showers complex in Bloomington to indicate the leadership of the town. And, and, and so recognize that what's going on here is in effect a warning and a summons to them to turn back from the way that they are going. Um, 2nd Chronicles 7 verse 14, the same kind of thing. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And, and this is easy to, it's easy to miss this message in what Jotham is saying. But Jotham is saying, turn back from the way you are going and come back to God. And then you can take delight 
in the king that he provides for you. Otherwise, this is not going to end well for you. And so this is a sign of God's grace that one son is spared and that that son comes to deliver a message from God to these people, warning them about the way that they are going. God didn't have to do that, but that was gracious. And you and I need to realize every time we read our Bible, every time we sit under the preaching of the word, we fellowship with other Christians who are willing to tell us the truth, that we, in a sense, are having this warning repeated to us, this encouragement to follow the Lord, to not follow our own folly or evil, but to follow the Lord, that God repeats this to us again and again and again. Uh, If if you ask the elders of our congregation, um, and sadly, we have had to do some excommunications over the years, but at the end, what is the sin for which a person is excommunicated, it's always ultimately a failure to repent. Because if at any time a person turns from their sin and seeks forgiveness, uh, forgiveness is, is there. This is, this is how God operates. And so it's only in hardening ourselves and refusing to repent that we show ourselves to be uh, living like unbelievers. Now, we might say, well, what would that have looked like in this situation? Well, that would have looked like the the leaders of this town punishing Abimelech and and his mercenaries for what they did uh, and seeking forgiveness from God and doing everything they could to restore Gideon and his family. And they had three years to do this. We didn't read that far, but we'll see this next week. They had three years to figure this out, and they did nothing. And in fact, the fact that in verse 21, Jotham delivers his message from uh, the, uh, the hill above the town and then flees uh, probably indicates that his message was not well received and he had every reason to run away. Uh, it's fascinating. He, he, he leaves the, the, the story. He leaves the Bible. We never hear of Jotham again. Nobody knows what happened to Jotham. But the Bible treats him as a prophet. He was a genuine prophet speaking the word of God to these people as they were headed down a disastrous route. And when we come back next week, Lord willing, we're going to see just how bad it ends up for these people because they don't listen to Jotham. So the call for you and me is to listen. Listen to God's gracious warning when it comes to us to turn away from evil and from folly. And then finally, our, our fifth Uh, observation here is that we need to turn to our savior who triumphed over evil and folly so that we could find our joy in him and again if you look at verse 19 it's difficult to parse this out because it comes in the context of of this terrible thing they've done but if you have acted in truth and sincerity if you've been faithful with Gideon and with his house then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you There is an offer there that if we have been faithful with God and God's anointed servant, that we should find joy in our king. And this is exactly what we see when Jesus Christ comes into the world. He comes offering joy and life in him, the true king. And I put some examples in the outline. John 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Psalm 16, verse 11, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. 
at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Paul says in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. There is genuine joy for God's people. And what is it that allows you to experience this joy? It's the fact that Jesus Christ allowed himself to be rejected as a leader, to be executed, and to face the judgment that we all deserve. The man who, you read what Gideon did for the people, right? What did Jesus do for his people? He loved, he taught, he healed, he pointed people to God. He never did anything wrong. And yet for that, he was captured and executed like a common criminal, killed on one tree, not on one stone. And yet evil and folly did not have the final say in that situation because Jesus rose from the dead victorious and he won the victory for his people. And just as Jotham, in a, in a sense, rose from the dead to preach a message to the people, Jesus Christ rose from the dead to preach a message to his people, warning you, if you turn away from him, there is nothing but folly and evil awaiting you. But if you turn to him, he is ready to receive you, to bless you, and to give you joy in your life. This is the message. Listen to God. I don't know where you are right now, what particular temptation you're struggling with, but listen. Listen to God's warning. Turn away from foolishness and from evil. Turn away from being your own God, making your own king. Turn to the Lord Jesus, the perfect and true king, and find joy in him. Let's pray and we'll ask him to do that for us. Heavenly Father, we confess that this is a passage that's disturbing. And uh, certainly if, if it were down to us, we wouldn't have included it in the Bible. And yet we're reminded how your wisdom is so much greater than ours because you show us that uh, evil is horrifying and terrible and, uh, and it's real. And uh, Lord, we pray that we would heed the warning that it's here, that we would turn to the Lord Jesus, uh, your servant, the one you have sent, and that we would find joy in him. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us with whatever our struggles are. And if there are any among us who are thinking uh, that um, serving you is just too difficult, and that maybe there's a, an easier way, uh, Lord, that you would show us the truth and that you would call us back in mercy and in grace and that we would uh, be joyful in our Savior. For we pray these things in his name. Amen. And now we'll sing in praise to the Lord from Psalm 32, uh, selection D. So this is only two stanzas, but the first stanza basically reminds us not to be stupid, so uh, avoid the foolish part of the sermon. And, um, and then the second part um, reminds us that God's covenant love surrounds those who trust 
in him. And if we are trusting in him, then we can shout uh, with joy and praise to him. So let's stand and sing our praise to the Lord.